Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome back, everyone, to the 43rd episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Arjun, how are you today? Doing well, doing well. Getting back in the swing of things for, you know, being back on campus, going to school and all that. So just standard standard week for me, but excited to be back, talking ball, talking playoffs. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah, just to plug some stuff before we start previewing our NFC wildcard game. So we released our Big Data Bowl submission, which is like the first thing we did when we got back on campus. So it's called Hackasack. It can be found on Kaggle or on any of our Twitters. We did that with our friend Joey DeCreasy. And we also went on Kevin Cole's podcast, Unexpected Points, to talk about our Big Data Bowl submission and a lot more. So be sure to, to go check out that episode. That was really enjoyable for mm-hmm. both of us and you also released a super cool piece on pff.com about off-season resources for each team going into this these next couple months here do you want to briefly talk about that before we preview the games yeah so i understand we have listeners of the podcast who maybe fans of teams who aren't in the playoff hunt right now um and obviously looking towards the draft and and free agency so i'd write a piece just talking about evaluating off-season resources basically creating a composite off-season resources score which takes into account um, how much effective cap space a team has how much draft cap and how much money or restructuring contracts contract. so just to give a preview like the teams the bears and the seahawks the teams at the bottom the bills the saints and the dolphins so you know it's it's a good thing the dolphins made the playoffs because entering the offseason last in you know offseason resources and not making the playoffs would have been a really bad combo and it would have been a, a pretty bad season a wasted season from them given you know all of their offensive offensive success so um this is one you know this article is free on pff i would definitely go check it out if you're trying to get a good primer about the offseason coming up mm-hmm. yeah i really enjoyed it i think a lot of people enjoyed that and that's why I like the saints did that to me there where they had this really bad season. They're giving away a top 10 draft pick to the Eagles. And like, it's just, it's things are not, not going well for them there because they don't have many offseason resources. So we'll have to see how their kind of cap wizardry kind of gets them out of what they're in right now. But 
giving away that pick, I think, is so crucial. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we go into these playoffs, like, it's a very impressive job for the Eagles to get the number one seed, uh, Howie Roseman's second time getting the number one seed uh, with two with two different head coaches. He did it, two different quarterbacks, um, and he's getting a top 10 pick on top of that. So good good for him. But we're, we're going to be previewing the rest of the NFC today. The Eagles have the one seed, so they're they're on a bye. And we're going to start with the, the 2-7 game. The uh, the Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers. Right now, as we're recording, the 49ers are nine and a half point favorites. Uh, what are some of your initial thoughts on on this game? Yeah, so in both matchups between the Seahawks and 49ers, the 49ers have kind of like dominated each game, um, both in, in basically both facets. The Seahawks just on defense simply aren't built to stop this 49ers offense and on the flip side I just don't think the Seahawks offense is good enough to beat this 49ers defense now the 49ers defense is you know kind of dominated a lot of teams and I do think the Seahawks are one of the better offensive teams in the in the league um Kenneth Walker kind of a boomer bust running back but I think the big the big like storyline here is like who is the 49ers winning in the trenches you have Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, who are both rookies, both who have kind of performed, I would say, above expectation. But the 49ers front four is like one of the best, if not the best in the league. Nick Bosa, you know, depoy favorite. He, I think, entered week 18 as like a minus eight, 1800 uh, odds to win defensive player of the year. Then you have some of these unheralded guys, Charles Amenahu and Samson Ebercam. And then Ark Armstead is a force in the interior, not to mention Fred Warner, uh, Dre Greenlaw. Aziz Alshier, like one of the best linebacking cores in the league. There isn't a lot of, you know, faith that I have in this Seahawks O-line to really hold up against the 49ers. The one, I think, advantage they could have is on the outside with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think Charvarius Ward, by most metrics, has performed at a top 10 level this year among all cornerbacks. But I do think they the uh, 49ers could could see some... Um, trouble if D'Amador Lenore, who's the 49ers opposite opposite outside corner, is matched up on DK Metcalf, who is a little bit bigger than him. So, you know, for the most part, I am kind of worried about the Seahawks offense going up against this 49ers defense, given that they have struggled in the past. And then also um the 49ers just hold a significant advantage in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's where this is kind of at for me as well is this 49ers defense is really good. They've allowed a negative 0.08 EPA per drop back this season, which is second best in the league. But when Geno Smith has played against them, he's at a negative 0.22 EPA per play in the two games against the 49ers, which would be the lowest EPA per play in the entire league uh, if you stretch it out over a season. And that stems from him having a couple pretty big interceptions that kind of swung the EPA in their favor. But that really is... It, the the Seahawks' two worst pass blocking games of the season, when you look at PFF pass block grade or pressure rate allowed, have been against the 49ers. And you mentioned that defensive line, and that's like really where they've gotten to to Geno Smith this season. So like that's that's why like I think the 49ers defense matches up really well against the Seahawks offense because the while Charles Cross and Abe Lucas have played well for rookies, they still aren't going to do well against these, these uh, edge rushers. And that's why like the 49ers can get away with sending four as often that they do and not having to blitz because like these, these uh, pass rushers are so good. And they also have the linebackers to close out the front seven with Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw and Al Shear that have done a great job kind of holding that, five to 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage um, area. However, 
there is a path I think the Seahawks could take advantage of in this game when I was looking at the data. So the the 49ers defense is really, really good at passes with air yards of less than 10. That's a negative EPA across the board on passes with air yards of less than 10. But 10 to 15 yards down the field is where the 49ers have allowed a decent amount of positive EPA passes this season. And that's because that's when you have the linebackers kind of come up, bite on play action, or they're defending the run. That's the area of the field that can open up. So if if the Seahawks are able to scheme up routes over that area of the field, they could take advantage of the 49ers in this game. And that's why Tyler Lockett, I think, has to be the X factor for the Seahawks in this game, because if he's able to do well over the middle of the field, there is that path there. But it's just really tough to do that when you have so many good players on this 49ers defense and you have you can have Hufanga come up and make a big play in that area when when the 49ers defense adjusts because we know how good Danico Ryans is at that. Yeah, I think I think the point about targeting the 49ers over the middle of the field behind the linebackers is a is a great point. And you know, I don't follow too many 49ers people, but there was there were a couple of people that I think, you know, know their stuff that were talking about how Fred Warner and Greenlaw, you can't really target them because they're so athletic. But the one person to target in this 49ers defense is Hufunga, just because he is a very athletic and just like aggressive safety. So he kind of over pursues the ball sometimes. We've seen this kind of multiple times. Um, and we saw the Dolphins kind of take advantage of this when they played the 49ers. Now, Tua was off on a couple of throws, but the first touchdown to Sherfield was like kind of that over the middle where a safety should be. And then the Tyreek throw was a deep crosser over, you know, going in front of the safety's face that ward was playing with like outside leverage so he was forcing hill to go and like he thought he had safety help but the safety wasn't there so it was a wide open touchdown for hill so i do agree if you are to target anyone in the secondary it would be hufunga so yeah and the thing with so i do agree with you that lockett should be one of the big x factors in this game i also think you know noah fant will disley hopefully should have you know significant roles in this game I think early in the season, we did see Disley have a good connection with Geno Smith. And one of the things we know about Geno is he, I mean, he's shown that he can really make almost any throw in the book when operating in structure. He's shown that he can hit the backside digs. He's shown that he can hit the seam balls. That throw to Tyler Lockett against the Rams where he literally dropped it in the bucket over the, the cornerback into, you know, over Lockett's shoulder as well. That's the type of throw that we're going to need to see from Geno to kind of win this game. The The only issue I have now is, I don't know if you saw the weather report. There's going to be a lot of rain in this game. And I think that does favor the 49ers, right? In a, in a game where you're probably going to need to run the ball more to win. And you just, you just can't run on this 49ers defense. Like it's, it's just, it's just almost impossible, especially given that you're starting two rookie tackles and you're going up against the Depoy, the best linebacker in the game. And you know, who Fungo who's coming down uh, from safety to kind of like, you know, fit the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, when we go back to Kenneth Walker, like, you said boomer bust and I I was joking the other day that all of his runs either end up behind the line of scrimmage or five yards or plus Mm -hmm. down the field like he doesn't do any of the in-between stuff and when you're gonna have to run the ball in a rainier game I do get a little bit worried about the the Seahawks offense here because they've done so well passing the ball especially with Geno Smith's deep passing this season And, and that throw that you brought up against the Rams was a great example of that but when it when it gets rainier I think that's where like the 49ers can take advantage of this. And when we go into the 49ers offense versus the Seahawks defense, so Sam Hoppin 
Uh, I think we're going to mention him a lot on this episode because he had a really good <laughs> playoff preview thread. Yes. But look, he, he put out a cool graph today showing uh, the expected pass rate and the actual pass rate for each team. So out of the, the 14 playoff teams, 10 of them had a pass rate above expected that made the playoffs. And the, the Cowboys were one that had a higher pass rate over expected with Dak than they did with Cooper Rush, which I think brings their numbers down a little bit. So you could even get up to 11 teams there. But the 49ers have one of the lowest actual pass rates in the league. They have a negative pass rate over expected. And that didn't change at all going from Jimmy G to Brock Purdy. So it's not like something that they were doing specifically for Purdy. So I think when the 49ers can get into a lot of their run game concepts that have made them so successful this year, and just in general under Kyle Shanahan, the efficiency might not always be there, but we've seen it do well in the playoffs before against these types of defenses that they're going to be going up against in this game. And that's why I, I can see like a, a pretty big run heavy game for the, the 49ers to begin with. And then a lot of Christian McCaffrey, shorter passes, uh, you know, McCaffrey's had a really, really good year as a passer and a rusher mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of putting together the most all-purpose yards in the league. So I, I think we could see like a combination of that type of things and they'll keep Brock Purdy's average at the target low when they have to pass. Yeah, and you have to keep the eight out low, especially with all the weather issues that's going to go on. Um, something that I looked at, so since 2019 and, and Kyle Shanahan's two playoff appearances he has a pass rate over expected of negative 12.4 so he's running the ball or he's passing the ball 12.4 percent less than expected i think that would let me just double check this while i talk but um that kind of just shows you know how he thinks about entering the playoffs like he he tends to lean more on the run even with jimmy g and now that he's a rookie quarterback i think it's going to be even worse so just looking at this 12.4 negative 12.4 percent would be the third lowest mark of any team in the regular season uh in front of the falcons and the bears so you know he's going to enter the playoffs chris mccaffrey probably healthy elijah mitchell healthy uh pretty much fully healthy offensive line in this game where you have a significant advantage in the trenches with trent williams with mike mcglinchey i think you do lean on the run a little bit more save your passing game concepts for a tougher opponent potentially the vikings or you might have to go against the bucks or something if the giants pull off an upset or even the cowboys right so I do think the 49ers lean more on the run this game. And especially since I don't think the Seahawks will have that much success on offense, they will probably probably be playing in a neutral or favorable game script, leading to more runs for McCaffrey and Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with Debo Samuel back now, we could see a lot of runs from him. He's had mm -hmm. a 1.8 rushing yards over expected this year on 41 rushes, having a 6.2 yards per carry. And last year was really where... I think Debo wanted this incentive in his contract for having getting paid based on how many rush attempts he gets because they ran him a lot in the playoffs last year. He finished the season with 84 rushes. So last last season, he had double the amount of rushes than he had this season. And part of that was injury, but part of that was just like Shanahan really wanted to just run with Debo in, in the playoffs. And we saw that huge third and 10 run against the Packers in the divisional round game last year that uh, sealed the game for the 49ers and that's where I think we could see that again in this game as well but we also know that you know considering how big the 49ers are in this game it, it's still it's still a playoff game but the 49ers kind of have to understand that if they were to get like a team like the Vikings next week or if if something were to happen and, and they were to get uh the the Cowboys or Bucks winner instead like that's gonna be a lot tougher matchup than this one 
And like, I, I think maybe like with kind of the way that Shanahan has been so good with his play calling this year and unveiling new concepts each week with like different types of personnel groupings and motions and kind of like trick looks that they might like kind of keep their foot, not fully on the gas pedal in this game and, and try to save some stuff down the road. So that could be something that kind of keeps it a little bit closer than it should be. But the 49ers just have so much talent at every level compared to the Seahawks. And that, that's kind of why the 49ers went uh, quote unquote all in this year and, and did the McCaffrey trade while the Seahawks were meant to be rebuilding. And I think even their, uh, even their highest uh, like optim, opti, optimist didn't think that they were going to be able to make the playoffs this year. And they did. Yeah. Question for you. So of the three playoff team and is taken to the playoffs, but the best team he's had, like top to bottom, including the quarterback. I think the 2019 team was still the best team that, that Shanahan has had. Um, you know, they, they were very well put together in, in like all aspects of the game. And you had the rookie Nick Bosa effect there too. And, and Bosa's kind of back to that level this year but I, I still think mm. that Jimmy G was was playing at a very high level that year and that was like Kittle's year but this 49ers team has, has a lot better weapons I just don't know if their offensive line and their uh safeties are as good yeah no I, I agree I think Kittle's the same Debo's probably a little bit better now I think Ayuk's a step up over old Emmanuel Sanders and I think I do agree I think their offensive line with I think Joe Staley was there in, in 2019 is is better than what they have now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of tricks Shanahan has saved for the playoffs. And I, I do hope the rain doesn't really affect what should be a somewhat fun game, um, even if even if I think the 49ers could dominate it start to finish. But moving on to Giants-Vikings, um, an, an interesting game, a rematch from a couple weeks ago from Week 16. Vikings, as of recording, are three-point favorites. You, I think I've seen them as low as two and a half, but it's never really gone below that. Um, what do you, what are you kind of making of this game uh, heading into Sunday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought that with these last two teams played, it was like a pretty exciting game. And I think like it gave a lot of insight on what these two teams are going to do in this game. And I think at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to when, when you're looking at like the Giants offense and what they have to do in their expected pass situations versus the Vikings offense and what they're able to do in their expected pass situations is the Vikings are going to have Kirk Cousins being able to throw to Justin Jefferson for the most part, but also TJ Hawkinson and KJ Osborne. And that's pretty huge as a, as a third down package for an offense to have because they've been successful out of it. And Hawkinson had a really, really good game the last time they played against the Giants. And I think he could do that again in this game, but the Giants don't trust Daniel Jones fully, which is why he has a pretty low usage rate. And mm-hmm. Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins, and Darius Slayton have showed up well in tracking data metrics, like the ESPN tracking data metrics, um, especially kind of Hodgins doing pretty good from a separation standpoint and, and Slayton also doing good from a separation and yards after the catch standpoint. But they're still not go get a bucket receivers while Jefferson and Hawkinson are. So that, that's going to be the difference to me in this game between the two teams is when you have Kirk and like kind of like some of the weapons that they have versus the Giants and maybe the lack of their trust in their passing offense will will be the, the thing that puts the Vikings ahead on top. But I, I do think it'll be pretty close. What do you kind of read on this game? 
Yeah, so I definitely agree with you. Giants, negative 5.6, pass rate over expected this season. Um, so yeah, they they are running more than they pass. And this does include like designed QB runs in the in the pass rate over expected. Um the, the Vikings defense, we said it all year, some of the lightest boxes you'll see on, on early downs. Um, referencing our friend Sam Hoppins graph again. Uh the Giants are one of the best teams at taking advantage of light boxes. So among all teams who run against light boxes of six defenders or less. The Giants have, I believe, based on his graph, the fourth or fifth best EPA per rush on, versus light boxes. So Dable will take advantage of those light boxes. I don't think he should be throwing the ball all that much. You don't want to be trusting Daniel Jones in a type of like win or go home playoff scenario. I think you want to lean on Saquon Barkley. Even if he hasn't been that efficient this season, he is your best offensive player, your best skill position player. And uh, in week 16, the Giants had a 47% success rate against the Vikings running the ball. And their EPA, I know it's, it, if you look at Ben Baldwin's side, it is a little bit skewed um, simply because Saquon had the fourth and two touchdown of like 40 yards. So, it, you know, they had a, that was like five expected points added on that play. But a 47% success rate is like above the league average. So I definitely think they should be leading more on their ground game. They did rest their starters, Andrew Thomas, Sean Feliciano. So hopefully their old line is going into that game healthy. The other part about this game, the Vikings have allowed the most QB scrambles of any team in the league, allowing a 0.32 EPA per scramble, which, you know, is actually pretty, it's above the league average, but they have allowed teams to kind of run or, allow, you know, quarterbacks to run whenever they want to. So, you know, if you're looking into some player props, some Daniel Jones rushing yards wouldn't be that bad of a look. And again, one of the things I've always liked about Dable going back to his time in Buffalo is he takes advantage of opponent weaknesses and he knows like how to like adjust his game plans to fit opponent opponent tendencies so i think we will see a i don't think we'll see a big daniel jones passing game but we could see a lot of zone reads qb keepers and we will see a lot of play action because the vikings defense per epa per play is the fifth worst defense uh, versus play action this year and that's something the giants did exploit a little bit they ran uh play action on 30 percent of their dropbacks in week 16 so i know that was a big data shove um but there are some weaknesses on this vikings defense i think that the giants can and will take advantage of with dable and kafka uh calling the shots i'm really glad you brought up the rushing element of daniel jones and i think it would surprise most people that behind justin fields and josh allen Daniel Jones has the most yards on scrambles, this uh, third most yards on scrambles this season with 404 scramble yards, which is more than Jalen Hurts, more than Patrick Mahomes, more than Kyler Murray, more than Lamar Jackson. So it's it's pretty crazy to see kind of what Daniel Jones has been able to do as a rusher this year. And a big reason why you can trust him more rushing now than we used to was he's really fixed his fumble problem and he's mm -hmm. fixed his turnover problem in general. And this is a Vikings defense that just doesn't play well. And they play very soft with, like you mentioned, like the light boxes, the soft coverage where they, they kind of just like deep back and like want to play bend, don't break, but like that doesn't really work in this league. So we could see a lot of Daniel Jones scramble opportunities in this game. And I don't think the Vikings have necessarily the players to stop that, but when you're still dealing with an offensive line like the Giants have, I think this could all Zadarius Smith could kind of influence some of the the passing concepts that the Giants have to play. But I do agree with you that they should be able to rush pretty well in this game, and if they're able to do that at an above uh, expected rate, 
like it could it could work out for them because they're chaining together successful plays and they're keeping the Vikings offense on on kind of the sideline and keeping Justin Jefferson off the field. So while that usually doesn't work because you have to do suboptimal things to keep like the better offense off the field. For the Giants, I could see it working in this game just because the Vikings' run defense isn't good and, and their rushing offense between Saquon mm-hmm. and Daniel Jones could be pretty good. Yeah, and you know, giving rust to some of the starters hopefully will get some of the health back. We know players get banged up towards the end of the year and they'll have all these ticky-tacky nagging injuries. So hopefully, you know, Dable resting his starters was the right decision. I think going to the other side of the ball, the Vikings offense versus the Giants defense. So, you know, another kind of data point we've talked about all year Kirk Cousins has struggled versus struggled versus the blitz all season he has an above average EPA per dropback versus uh you know a non-blitzing play but when he is faced with the blitz he is like a bottom 10 quarterback per EPA per play and the thing I saw in week 16 he averaged a 0.04 EPA per play versus the blitz uh versus when we play the giants but he actually averaged a negative like 0.1 epa per play when the giants didn't blitz him so it was kind of like a weird like the whole season stats kind of flipped when the giants played him um i but i do think that's partly because they didn't have a dory jackson when you blitz you're leaving your corners on islands and you can't trust darnay holmes or whoever else the giants are playing a corner on Justin Jefferson one-on-one with Adore Jackson. I think you can have a little more confidence. You're not obviously going to have any like hundred percent confidence that it's, you know, he can slow him down, but Adore Jackson is one of the better cornerbacks in the league. And I do think him coming back is a huge boost for the Giants defense, which relies a lot on blitzing. They blitz about, you know, over 40% of the time, um, according to Sam Hoppins graph. And I do think uh, that's kind of the game plan going into this game, force Cousins to beat the Blitz. And if Adore Jackson can, you know, hold his own and not let Jefferson go rampage, I think the Giants defense could have a chance in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what we kind of foresaw when we were previewing that game a couple of weeks ago, that it was going to be a big Justin Jefferson game. But I do like Adore Jackson as a player, but I don't think anyone can really match up to the best receiver in in the league right now. I think Dory Jackson is a, is a good coverage player and has kind of filled that role that James Bradbury left pretty well uh, with, with the Giants this season. But this is still probably going to be a big Jefferson game because Cousins under O'Connell or just kind of the way that he's been this year is when he – when, when he's he's just become more aggressive and, and pushing the ball downfield because of the routes that Jefferson has been running and it, because of how much he trusts him, where on these like third down plays where Wink Martindale might bring a pretty heavy blitz, Cousins mm-hmm. before would take like a, a Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison check down uh, that wouldn't make it to the sticks. But now he's like really been pushing it to Justin Jefferson. His average up the target has increased on late downs and overall, especially since the TJ Hawkinson trade. So that's like my only reservation is the Giants defense can be taken advantage of still when they Mm -hmm. blitz. But when you kind of have to put Kirk Cousins in these types of situations where he's maybe not able to always go past the sticks, that's where we could see it revert to a Kirk Cousins that wasn't converting as much of these late downs in the previous seasons. And that's like what you have to hope from if you're the Giants, where you want to do a lot of weird things like when you put six defenders on the line of scrimmage, but only rush four, like Wink Barnendale has done like a decent amount this year. And I, I still think that 
the Vikings lack of being able to run the ball is going to catch up to them. Eventually it might not necessarily be this game, but Dalvin cook is last in rushing yards over expected right now in, in the entire league. And he's not had a good season. Alexander, Alexander Madison hasn't done well when he's had to mm. fill in and with kind of some of their offensive line injuries, I don't think that they're going to be able to run the ball in this game. And Dexter Lawrence has been, one of the best interior defensive linemen in the entire league this year. And Leonard Williams is really good himself. So you're not going to be able to run up the middle. So it's going to have to be a big passing game. And so when you have to start putting all these things on Kirk Cousins, that's where you can start to hopefully see the the house of cards crumble for the Vikings. And that that could be the Giants' best hope in the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Vikings' interior offensive line. You know, and it's also not even their interior. It's also um, Brian O'Neill. So Brian O'Neill um, is one of the best right tackles in the NFL. Got a big contract, you know, the past couple off seasons ago because of that. And he's going to be out for this game. And one of the things we've talked about, especially at the offensive tackle position, just the diminishing returns of pass protection. You lose an elite guard or elite tackle and you get an average or below average tackle. The EP, the diminishing returns of expected points added is pretty significant. You know, our friend, we've talk, referenced our friend Judah Forkin's graph multiple times on the show we're going to reference it again so i think you know him not being there you get a, a blitz heavy wink martindale who if i was him you want to attack the right tackle position you want to force the giants to have a good or you want to force the vikings to have a good protection plan on that right side of the offensive line and you know there's a lot of there were okay so reading through the big dateable submissions there were a lot of like really cool ones i believe there was one where um it literally talked about finding weaknesses on the offensive line against the blitz or something it was like a it was a really cool one and it, it did show like if you use tracking data you can find where teams are susceptible versus the blitz and i wonder like if the if the giants are able to kind of figure that out that team struggle versus this defensive look and we show this at the line and we send an extra rusher off the right side of the offensive line it will result in a pressure x percent of the time where it has resulted in a pressure x percent of the time um you know obviously i don't want to get too technical about it but i, I did think you know it was worth bringing up because I, I that was one of my favorite big dateable submissions that i read um outside of ours obviously and so just talking about you know the vikings offensive line brian o'neill out for this game ed ingram among all guards ranks um where is it? I just saw it. He ranks uh, 55, 55th in, you know, overall PFF grade. When you look at just pass blocking, his he ranks, uh, he has a 44.4 PFF grade, which is the eighth worst. Bobby Evans is the last. So those are the two guards for the Vikings going up against, going up against Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. So I do think the Giants actually have the advantage in the trenches really on both sides of the ball, in my opinion. Obviously, Christian Darius saw one of the best left tackles in the league, but how much you know stock are you putting into this Giants defensive line kind of dominating? And if because they have the advantage in this game, do you think Wink Martindale should lead into the variance of blitzing, given that they're only like two and a half, three point dogs? And it's it's really like a almost even matchup in terms of team strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I don't think that he should blitz as much as he has been blitzing this season, because I still think that there's ways to confuse that interior offensive line for Minnesota and Kirk Cousins and, and kind of his, his past checks, and that is just to like show diverse looks, basically, but don't necessarily send the house, because at the end of the day, like this Vikings 
group of pass catchers, I think is still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, even besides Justin Jefferson, like I still think Hawkinson, Osborne, and even Thielen has still has his moments at, at his age, but you can, you can, you still need to drop six, seven defenders into pass coverage to, to be able to, to take advantage of it. It's just, yeah. Like rush players that are close to that interior offensive line could work out really well for you. And I mean, not to uh, reference uh, like a, our, our big data bowl submission too much on this, but like when we were building our uh, expected sack model, basically a, a model that calculated the probability of each player on the defense getting a sack, we found that distance from the quarterback was by mm-hmm. far the, the biggest feature that predicted whether or not a player would get a sack on that play. And it, it makes it a lot of intuitive sense, like a, a defensive lineman should have a higher percent chance of getting a sack than a linebacker. But even being in that interior spot, like the quickest way to a quarterback is from the nose tackle position. And so if the, the they can kind of take advantage of those Vikings guards by having the the mugged up concepts where you have three guys yeah. in between the the two guards and they don't know where exactly you're going to rush from. I think that's definitely a path for the Giants to win this game. I just think that eventually Kevin O'Connell and Justin Jefferson are so good that they will have answers for it. And that's how the, the Vikings were able to drive down the field to set up Greg Joseph's game-winning field goal when this game happened a couple weeks ago. So we'll have to see if uh, the, the Vikings are able to lean into the, the one score. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, game-winning drive again here in, in this game. Yeah, I mean, even the Giants have kind of, you know, started off really hot with one-score games. And mm-hmm. this is, I think this could just be like one of those games that, again, com- comes down to the wire, who has the ball last. Um, and it... I don't. I don't think Daniel Jones is like a true Kirk, but I think if he gets a second contract, he will be a Kirk. And you know, we'll talk about that when the season ends, about just like what the Giants should do in terms of team building. We should move on to the final game, the final game of Wild Card Weekend, long weekend on Monday night. Cowboys Buccaneers. Cowboys um, open, I think, as four three three and a half point favorites. Now down to two and a half on a lot of books. 
So what is so outside of just giving analysis that you know Tom Brady's in the playoffs, what is your kind of like read on this matchup? Because it does seem like the market has downgraded the Cowboys a lot since like they beat the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to do playoff win loss record here. Uh, we we have better stuff than that. Um, so just my angle on this game and like why I like the the Bucks, I think to win. I, I think it's going to be a very close game. I think you can make an argument for both sides, but when you start looking at kind of the paths to victory for the Bucks in this game, I think you can kind of paint a picture of how they're going to do this game. So it starts with Todd Bowles in his defensive game plans that I think have been really, really good in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. you brought this up when we went on Kevin Cole's unexpected points podcast. And uh, this is, this is something similar that I think I had thought of that we didn't talk about before. And the, the 2021 game against the, or sorry, 2020 playoff game that was in 2021 against the Packers, Todd Bowles the main goal of that game was to take away Devonte Adams and make Aaron Rodgers go to Alan Lazard and the secondary receiving options. And it worked out really well. The Packers offense that was humming for the entire regular season didn't do well against the Bucks defense in that game and that sent the Bucks to the Super Bowl. And last year, Todd Bowles had the best defensive game plan of probably his entire career against the Philadelphia Eagles offense that was playing really well going into that game. And the Eagles offense never passed over the middle of the field. And so he basically forced Jalen Hurts to pass over the middle of the field by the types of defenses and coverages that he played. And it worked out really well for them. The Eagles offense wasn't able to do anything the entire game. And so the Cowboys also are relying on that one strong link to kind of take them forward in this game. And that's over the middle passes to CeeDee Lamb. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Dak Prescott's EPA breakdown by pass location this year, he's at a 0.23 EPA per pass over the middle of the field, only 0.13 when throwing to the left and 0.18 throwing to the right. So he's still been okay when throwing to the other areas, but he loves the over of the middle over the middle of the field passing him to CeeDee Lamb. And that's what I think Bowles is going to do there. But he the, the Bucks haven't been able to defend the middle of the field well this year from their EPA standpoint. But I still think Levante David is a good enough linebacker. Yeah. And you can drop uh, Antoine Winfield and Logan Ryan into the mix there as safeties as well to kind of stop that over the middle of the field passing game. And uh, while I do really like the Cowboys offense and, and the way that Dak has been playing this year, uh, you know, even the interceptions have been like okay to an extent because um, even though he's had 15 interceptions, uh, he's only thrown those with 1.1 expected points on average. So they've usually been in third and longs and when they're not close to the red zone and all that stuff. Kirk Cousins has has had the second most EPA lost on interceptions this year, and he's thrown those on 2.5 expected points uh, mm-hmm. situation. So those are so that's like a pretty stark difference there. But like if Dak does throw one or two of these interceptions in the game, I think like the Bucks defense can really take advantage of that. And that's why like I'm I'm pretty bullish on on the Buccaneers defense. I think the the one thing also I, we can add to the Bucks potential just coverage of CD Lamb. Um, when I was doing some research on another project that you know is is in the works for for the both of us, I was on the safety market. Um, I was noticing that Antoine Winfield has played 410 snaps in the slot this year. So you know, usually the Bucks cornerback room is Jamel Dean and Carlson Davis on the outside with Sean Murphy Bunting playing in the slot. But Murphy Bunting is is a really he's not that good of a corner. He is a liability. So instead, the Bucks have used more three safety looks. 
and run Antoine Winfield as their primary slot corner. And, you know, Winfield, um, even as a safety, I would say is one of the better cover people in the league. He is, you know, if anyone that he is the one who's probably going to be breaking Der- Derwin James's, um, you know, market setting extension value or market setting extension contract that he signed this past off season. So you're going to get Antoine Winfield playing the slot. And as a safety, you know, that will help the bucks to be able to fit the run uh, better while also being able to play coverage over the middle. So um, another thing, the, the bucks play the third highest rate of cover three of any team in the league. Dak Prescott this year at, the negative 0.022 e3 which is interesting you know i don't really is there typically i would say like if you're a quarterback that struggles versus cover three you either you know your play calling isn't design isn't good at designing plays to kind of take advantage of single high defenses or as a quarterback you just don't have the arm strength to kind of hit the whole shots that you need to be able to hit versus Mm -hmm. cover three which is up the seams and if the Bucks are able to sit and cover three for most of the game like they have all year. I think we could see the Cowboys struggle there. Also because Todd Bowles is one of the best, um, you know, defensive coordinators, defensive play callers at disguising uh, his defensive play calls, whether it is a blitz or no blitz. Now that kind of disgu- disguise is, is countered by Dak Prescott's like pre-snap um, mental ability. Remember like the film guys, the one thing, they all praise about da- about Dak Prescott over everything else is his processing, is his pre-snap knowledge, and everything he does before the snap. Things that you know, as non-football ball knowers, we don't know about. But <laughs> that's the one thing they always talk about. So if if this is a game for Dak Prescott to really show that he has ability to re-disguise defenses and process, you know, post-snap or even pre-snap, this would be the game to to show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. That's that's I think a pretty big point because I think from like a coaching perspective, uh, Mike McCarthy has like casually been like pretty good this year. Like he's he's been like doing pretty good on on fourth downs. He's been doing well on timeout management and and everything like that. And like the Bucks have been the total opposite of that. Like mm-hmm. we've done multiple um, like kind of tweets about this where like the Bucks just not haven't done well managing their timeouts on fourth downs. They punted on multiple fourth and ones. And like that's where the edge is for the Cowboys in this game. And I also think Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator and could try to yeah. take advantage of it. And then like on the other side of the ball, Byron Leftwich hasn't had a good year play calling uh for the Bucks offense. And Dan Quinn is a heck of a defensive coordinator. So like the 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 Cowboys corners are like pretty banged up right now and the backup corners haven't played well at all. And that's why we've been able to see like the Jaguars offense kind of do whatever they wanted passing the ball. Uh, Gardner Minshew was able to have a really good day outside of turnovers against the Cowboys pass defense. And that's what's probably worrisome is Brady is always going to take advantage of kind of like the weakest parts of a defense when he's going against them. And right now that's Mm. the Cowboys corners outside of Trevon Diggs. So we could see that, but Dan Quinn, I'm sure has a lot of stunts and things planned to take advantage of this Bucks offensive line. And I know you have a lot of uh, like pretty good insight on like Brady this year and his, his time to throw and why he doesn't want to get hit and all that stuff um, that, that like might try to counteract that, but I don't know if it will be able to. Yeah. So the, the point about Brady's time to throw, right. He's typically always had a quick time to throw. Um, one of the things we kind of harped on him earlier in the year was it was just too fast. Like he was throwing the ball, like his time to throw is 2.19, 2.14. 
2.31. The one game I really saw him kind of like turn it around was the Saints game on Monday night, 2.41 time to throw. And that was one of his, you know, be- or no, it wasn't that game. It was the Seahawks game where it was his highest time to throw of the year, 2.57. And that did correlate with a with a one of the better uh, offensive performances for the Bucks. But you look at the last three weeks against the Cardinals, he had a 1.88 time average time to throw. <laughs> I don't like that just means he's like not even getting to the third step of his drop back and he's releasing it. Now that does correlate with him only getting pressured five times. And you know, he's, he's not really getting hit all that often. So it's just like it, whatever, now that it's playoffs, I think Brady will, you know, this is obviously a prediction. This doesn't really bear out on the data, but Brady could have that mindset change where it's like, okay, I can take the hits now. It's whatever. But if he doesn't, the the Cowboys stunts and everything that does take time to develop, right? Unless mm-hmm. you have Market Parsons literally screaming as the ball is being snapped, coming off the edge into the interior, it's going to take at least like 2.4, 2.5 seconds to for a stunt to really be effective and get to the quarterback. And if Brady has the ball out before that, then it's not going to be effective, right? So that's mm-hmm. why I do think the Cowboys could not be as successful stunting as they have and like as they have throughout the course of the regular season, but. Yeah, like you said, I, I do worry kind of a lot about this Cowboys secondary uh, without two of the starting corners and starting guys like Jerron Bland. Um, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, like Tom, there's no really other quarterback that's better at taking advantage of subpar corners than than Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. And you, when you still have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Evans really reminded us the, the uh, week 17, like how good he can be like that's that's like what you want to see from this game but yeah like you're right like the bucks have had the lowest uh offensive explosive play rate in the league this season but maybe that's just because brady didn't want to hit before the playoffs and we know that he like he he likes to turn it to another gear we think going into the playoffs like the data doesn't really show up that he does better from an efficiency standpoint in the playoffs but yeah it does seem like there is something mentally that changes for him and maybe he kind of can can turn the dial here but that's just speculation on on our end that's not really something that from like a, a data-driven analysis there. Uh, what, what I do really want to go into is um, something that was brought up at our Michigan Football Analytics Society meeting uh, the other night. And the, the new overtime rules that the NFL set forth could come come forward in one of these playoff games here. So I wanted to hear your take on this. So uh, for, for those who don't know, I, I needed a, a reminder um, when, when I was looking this up. Actually, Funny, funny thing, when I looked up new overtime rules, I forgot to like put in NFL or anything and like the federal laws for like the amount of hours that you're allowed to work <laughs> by compensation, like got pulled up um, like at, at first. I was like, oh, OK, wait, I forgot. Like you still have to like put NFL in this thing. Like there's there's bigger, bigger things that Google deems as, as important there. But for, for those who don't know the new overtime rules, um, so you, you can you get the choice of going going first or second. And both teams get the opportunity to possess the ball, no matter what happens on the the first possession. So if the first team were to go down and score a touchdown, field goal, score a touchdown and two-point conversion, or no score, the other team will get the ball with the chance to score. And then it just goes into kind of the sudden death format after that. So where do you kind of stand on if you were a head coach and your team won the coin flip on if you would go first or second uh, with the ball? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think I need to sell some of my Google stock. They don't think football is the most important thing uh, <laughs> in the search engine. Um, but 
I think so. First of all, I do think the overtime rules depend, or like what you do, kind of depend on your the state of the game, the state of what the market was predicting pregame. If you enter the game as let's say over, I think over six point underdog. So if you're six or or worse, like seven, eight plus eight plus nine underdogs, I think I would want to go second. If I was if I if it, if it was like a neutral game, I think I would want to go first. And if I was a favorite, I would want to go first. If I'm saying I would want to go second as the underdog because you know you kind of do want to find out what happens in that first drive. And then say they the first team scores a touchdown, you go down and score a touchdown. If you're the underdog, you probably just want to go for two and the game because you you know you're not going to get a most likely not going to get a stop if you're the worst team. Um, and if you're the favorite or if it's a neutral game, I think going first is better because you can kind of believe that the other team won't have that like underdog mentality or if you know you're going up against like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen maybe you still want to go second but that also leaves the opportunity for them to go for two and you know it it creates a a lot of confusion but I know for sure though if I was an underdog I'd I'd want to go second I do think going first is kind of like a very scenario-based approach I'm curious to hear what you think though I, I don't know if we are on the same page there yeah, no, I I really liked uh, how you broke that down there. To me, it do, it comes down to the offensive quality of your team and kind of how you feel about your offense versus the other team's defense and the vice versa of that. If if you feel good about your offense versus their defense, I think you should go second, like you said, because you should be able to counteract what they do. And going second has the second mover advantage, the information advantage that you get from going second, knowing what you have to do on your possession to either extend the game or win the game. And like, that's pretty big. And people always harp on college football overtime being the most fair. And I think college football overtime is a lot of fun and it provides like the most entertainment, but it's actually not that fair because whatever team goes second in that first overtime has a huge information advantage. And we're, we could kind of see that with going second here, but I think it's very close. Uh, but I, I think I would still go first because I would, I think two point conversions are more flukier than kind of have a read on an, a good offense versus a bad defense to begin with. And then you can get that advantage of the extra possession when you go first and the result is the same, which should happen a decent amount of the time. It's not going to happen greater than 50%, but it should happen more often that the two teams, especially in like a very low scoring game or very high scoring game, kind of have the same result on their first drive and then getting that possession where you could end the game with a field goal is pretty big to me where that next score can kind of win and and you get that possession but when brian burke simulated this uh at, at espn or michael lopez kind of ran his projections on this at the nfl they really found that this is a very very fair overtime and mm. there's no more advantage uh i think i think brian burke ended up saying that there's a 50.5 percent advantage if you go second and you go for two on that on the mm. touchdown but that's not that's very marginal you would need like millions of simulations to find like a true edge there and so there is no true edge but i i am very curious if an, if an overtime game happens and like what like the coaches would choose and what different types of coaches would choose 
look, this wild card weekend has the potential to, you know, we get to see it in action. Chargers, Jaguars, like you're talking about the Chargers, right? Like this every game is close. We're talking about the Jaguars where every game they either start off with a 10 point deficit or they start off with a 10 point lead and they eventually blow it. Same thing with Vikings, Giants, the, the one score game Kings. I think we'll get a wild card game this weekend or an overtime game this weekend. I don't know what it will be. But I do think at some point in the playoffs we'll get we'll get to see this in action. Hopefully we'll get to see um, you know, first first team scores a touchdown, second team scores a touchdown, doesn't go for two, or maybe goes for two. And you know, whatever happens, happens. We won't get any complaints about losing a coin toss. I do think this was the most fair way of kind of um, you know, creating a new overtime rules. And I'm glad that uh, you know, the, the NFL made the change and hopefully we get to uh see it implemented at some time in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do like this rule, and, and the NFL usually gets these things right when it comes to kind of the, the fairness, of, even if they get a lot of other things wrong when it comes to kind of, you know, player health and, and taunting and, and different stuff like that. But I still would have loved the spot and choose that our friend, uh, Matt, Coach Matt Weiss, proposed when, when he was at the Ravens, because mm-hmm. that would have been a great way to find out basically what coaches think about their own quarterback and the other team's opposing quarterback, like if you're playing Patrick Mahomes, you're going to set the ball at the one or two yard line. And cause you don't, you don't want to, you don't want him to touch the ball at all. But like, if you're playing like a quarterback that we don't have as good of a read on, like, uh, like Trevor Lawrence or like a quarterback that's debated a lot, like Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. where would the, uh, where would the opposing coach want to set the ball? Like it would show us what they think about them. And then where would the, the, where Mike McCarthy spot the ball if he won the coin toss and spot and chooses he trusts Dak Prescott to drive 95 yards down the field to win the game so that would have given us a lot of narratives but you're right about this being like a fair rule that should probably work out and you're I, I do hope your prediction comes true of an overtime game happening so we can see it kind of unfold here yeah yeah I'm I'm very excited to see what happens um so yeah that that is going to wrap it up for the previews before we kind of end though you know, this is kind of we didn't really prepare for this. I I just thought of it, but I do want to get like we should do our Super Bowl predictions now that we're in the playoffs. We you know we could do some type of like bracket challenge on our own, uh, within like our football analytics club. Um, but I do think you know from here, what do you think is the Super Bowl prediction? Who wins? But in terms of just what the matchup is and who wins, what is your uh, prediction right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought about this yesterday, and right now I have the Chiefs over the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I think we could get a rematch from a couple years ago. And I I think having Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy face off against each other in a Super Bowl would be an electric, electric game. And I, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I hope the Eagles get there because of like who we know, but I I just like the 49ers right now from a slight edge perspective. And then I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes on the AFC. Yeah, I that dude, that was my exact same one. I really, <laughs> I really hope the Eagles, you know, are able to at least make it to the conference championship. And Eagles 49ers would be a tremendous matchup, I think. I just, I think I would lean into Shanahan's like playoff experience and just his ability to kind of beat up the, the Eagles defensive scheme. And I still, I, I don't, I worry about Purdy and Hurts in the playoffs because we just haven't seen what they can do um and if they can like kind of overcome what defensive scheme against them but like i said i do trust kyle shanahan to kind of overcome that situation and i do think the 49ers have a slightly better defense um but yeah either the 
I, I just want the 49ers or Eagles to make the, the Super Bowl. That would be great. And like you said, just because of uh, people we know, I think that would be a very fun thing to root for. And it would be really cool to see some of our, uh, you know, colleagues or people we know there kind of like get their shine. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so 40, so Chiefs 49ers, our podcast official uh, Super Bowl predictions, go lock in the, that exact matchup on FanDuel or DraftKings, not gambling <laughs> advice, but I, I'm putting that bet in sometime soon on my end. But yeah, that's going to wrap it up for us today. We'll be back um next wednesday as always uh we'll review the wild card games or we'll review the games that you know we obviously think there's some value in reviewing and obviously do our previews on the divisional round next friday really appreciate all our listeners for tuning in and you know staying uh staying with us throughout this entire episode but until next time i'll take the points you bitches lost all-